Welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast. I'm your host, John Williamson, and uh, we're back for the last of the re-release series. And here's your Halloween uh, treat. Uh, This is one that we put out uh, many years ago. And uh, I remember Adam and I did this one, and it's like, this one's a tough one because, you know, this is kind of one of our more controversial episodes probably that we did just because of, you know, where people stand on uh, kind of the unseen world in regards to spirits and angels and devils and demons and things of that nature. So still not sure where I stand on that. But uh, as Adam and I said, when we finished recording it, there's something that's uh, profoundly um, terrifying about someone who, you know, does believe in those things and wholeheartedly uh, believes that these things are true and has experienced things that they feel are, you know, uh, stem from uh, some sort of demonic unseen realm. So it's uh, it was pretty spooky, but uh, interesting nonetheless. So take it as you will. Um, it's at, at the very least a fun kind of topical Halloween themed episode. So this is one we did with Father Gary Thomas, uh, who's an incredibly kind, uh, kind individual and was kind enough to to be a guest on our show so many years ago. But he uh, has a fascinating story. So he not only is a Catholic priest, uh, from out on the West coast, but, um, he's from, he is a, uh, uh, raised in San Francisco and is a longtime pastor in the diocese of San Jose. Uh, in 2005 though, he was selected by his Bishop to attend a Vatican sponsored course on exorcism. So he is one of the few Vatican certified practicing exorcists. There's uh, I believe one also in the Indianapolis area, um, uh, probably a little closer to us, but, um, but, Father uh, Thomas, his story is is that much more interesting because there's a movie based on a book based on his life. And so the book is called The Right, The Making of a Modern Exorcist, came out in 2009. Um, and uh, they made a movie about it starring Sir Anthony Hopkins. Uh, and it's um, obviously they took some artistic liberties with the film. And we, we talk about that in the interview um, a little bit. But um, fascinating story, fascinating individual and uh, just uh, kind of an interesting thing all around. So take it as you as you will. Um, some some folks listening are are like you know mm, poppycock, and and some are like you know it's possible. So who who knows, right? But uh, at the at the very least, we thought it was an interesting Halloween uh, topic to cover. And so here we are, Halloween week. You're welcome. Uh, for all things Deconstructionist, www.thedeconstructionist.com. You can listen to our entire back catalog of episodes. In fact, at the end of this month, now that you've listened to uh, potentially all five of the re-release episodes of some of our greatest hits, you can go all the way back to the beginning and check out our first interview with Dr. Timothy Mackey or any of the other episodes that we did um, way back in the day. And so we, we covered a lot of topics, covered a lot of ground, talked to a lot of fascinating guests. So, um, half the time I forget even who we've, uh, who we've spoken to over the years, over these last seven years. And it's, it's quite incredible that we were fortunate enough and lucky enough, um, to be able to interview some of these, some of these guests. So, um, you know, that is not lost on us for sure. Uh, so you can go back all the way to the beginning of our archive of episodes on the website. You can stream them right through there if you want. Um, you can also check out our blog, which is in dire need of updating. Uh, I promise you I'm working on several things that I will post in the very near future. Um, once life calms down a little bit, but 
Uh, you can also link to us on social media. You can find our web store on there. So if you want a deconstructionist pint glass that makes your beer taste better or iced tea, whichever, uh, you can find those on there. We got coffee mugs, t-shirts, all that jazz. Um, otherwise, uh, oh, yes, subscribe, rate, and review. That's important. Uh, helps people find us. And uh, word of mouth is the you know is, is basically our bread and butter. We are an independent podcast, uh, not affiliated with a network. And so, you know, we work hard for every listener that we have and, uh, and, and really the vast majority of our listeners are based on word of mouth, based on you guys telling other people, Hey, we think what they're doing is meaningful and worthwhile. Uh, check it out. And so I appreciate each and every one of you who have passed this along to someone else. So, uh, many, many thanks. And, uh, and starting in a couple weeks, I will be releasing brand new content. So finally, uh, back to back to uh, some new stuff, and so I've got some really cool topics I can't wait to cover uh, with you guys. So more to come in a couple of weeks, starting in November and December. We'll finish off the year, believe it or not, and then uh, I'll be uh, taking my usual month or two off at the beginning of the year just to stockpile episodes and, and get things rolling. But excited about some of the guests I'm talking to right now, and and uh, in the process of setting up those interviews. So thank you guys so much for listening. Hopefully you enjoyed this re-release. Um, series, I guess we'll call it, uh, during the month of October. And if you did like it, uh, something that, you know, hopefully, you know, I'll do again in the future, uh, pull out some even, uh, even more old episodes. Uh, so, you know, some of you who are newer, newer listeners can, can check them out. So, um, also on the horizon, uh, we've been getting requests to do, we did a long time ago, we did a recommended reading, uh, episode, just a shorty. Um, and so talking to Adam about that right now, uh, yes, we are still friends. (laughs) He's just a busy boy. So he and I have been talking about, um, some of the stuff that we've been reading. And, uh, so we'll put together something as far as that goes and, and put that out in the near future as well. So, all right, let's get to it. Spooky, spooky. Uh, father Gary Thomas, here you go. Happy Halloween. Yeah, non-denominational I mean, mainly. A little, I mean, little bit of Lutheran. That's fine. Um, the, 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 the ministry of exorcism would be a, a, a service. Um, it would be a service within the church. So I don't mean by that a church service, but I mean by that a pastoral service. Right. It's okay. a form of pastoral care. So that's why I asked you what your backgrounds were, because at least we can kind of talk a common language. Because oh, yeah. All, all Christians and all Christian churches would use the word ministry, just about all would, would use the word ministry as a way of expressing the kind of care that the church tries to provide for our people. And so, yes, I'm a full-time priest, and I'm, and I, I mean, I am a full, I mean, that kind of is an oxymoron. As a priest, in the Catholic sense, you know, that it's sort of like there's 31 flavors. So, you know, there's lots of ways that priests serve in the church, and I happen to be what we would call a diocesan priest, which means that I'm a, I'm, a, I'm basically a parish priest. So I serve in a parish, but there's other ministries that priests who are parish priests can also be involved in. I mean, some can teach in high schools. They don't have to necessarily be part of a religious order, 
although usually all of these sort of specialized ministries, more often than not, are done by religious orders. In the ministry of exorcism, usually, um, but not limited to, because I have plenty of examples of guys who are in religious orders and who do this too, um, it's usually a priest, it's always a priest selected by the bishop, whether he be attached to a religious order or he's a priest of a local diocese, um, who, who serves at the pleasure of the bishop, and either can be uh, designated on a case-by-case basis or can be what you call mandated. I happen to be mandated. And so, um, but it is a ministry. It's a recognized ministry within the church. It's been, with the, it's been part of the church since the time of Jesus. Wow. Who performed exorcisms himself. And right. that's in the scriptures. So, so we, we, we kind of just jumped in, but um, uh, for, for, for those of our listeners who, who aren't familiar, we are speaking with, uh, with uh, Father Gary Thomas, um, you were located in, in California, and uh, uh, so how many, because my understanding was as of 2011, there were only around 14 uh, exorcists, uh, you know, sanctioned by the, the Catholic Church. Is, is that still a relatively low number, or has it increased since then? Oh, no, it's increased, it's increased exponentially, really, since the movie. Oh, wow. But, but I think, I mean, I think the movie, I think the movie did move the needle, but I also think more and more bishops are facing more and more people who are calling for um, either an investigation into their uh, personal struggles in which they would require an exorcist or that they think they require an exorcist because there's a discernment process that's always a part of you know, this. So, when I get a call and someone says to me, which is often the case, I need an exorcism. I don't do them on request. That doesn't happen that way. That may not be what they need. There's a whole discernment process, and it's fairly involved. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't even meet any longer. By, I'm not usually the first contact. My team is, although I get lots of calls, mm. because I just don't have the time. I mean, I could have 10 calls a week, often. Wow. So, and the team, I have a team of seven people um, who are my prayer team, and they take the calls and they do basically the, the kind of the vetting in terms of, you know, you know, how do we approach this person? Now, because of the movie and the book, I get emails from all over the world and phone calls from all over the world, too. And so what we try and do is direct people back to their local bishop regardless of whatever part of the, the United States they live in. I usually don't take calls from outside the United States. I get them, but I, I mean, the cost of returning some of these phone calls is enormous because I have, and then end up getting, you know, paying a tremendous amount of money for a phone call that might last five minutes, and it's, you know, you're to Bangladesh or somewhere. So yeah. I don't, I mean, emails I'll respond to, absolutely. I respond to all the emails. Father Thomas, just for the record, which um, movie and book were you talking about, just so our listeners know? Oh, sure. I'm sorry. Um, The movie, pardon me, the the book is entitled The Right, R-I-T-E. It was published in 2009. The author is Matt Ballio, who then later wrote the book Argo, that went with the movie Argo. But his first book was was The Right. And I met Matt when I took the course on exorcism at the Regina Apostolorum Seminary in Rome when I was on my sabbatical back in in 2005-2006. He was taking the course 
He's married. He has a little boy. Well, actually, his son is no longer a little boy. He's probably a teenager now. Um, uh, he met his wife in Rome. He grew up in California. Went to University of California Santa Barbara. University of California Santa Barbara. Grew up in San Diego. And I met him at the course, and we became friendly acquaintances initially, and then eventually, when uh, it was very, very clear, I really needed to find a, a mentor or a teacher under whom to train while this course was going on and beyond, that Matt asked, because he was a freelance journalist by, by profession, if he could write a book about my experiences. And I said in a very kind of casual way, sure, go ahead. I had no idea the book would become, you know, a very well-known book, and that Warner Brothers would then buy the rights to the book and make a movie out of it with the same title, and the star in the movie is Anthony Hopkins. And I worked on the movie for a week with Anthony Hopkins back in 2011, uh, 2010. Then the movie was released in 2011. I saw that movie in the theater with my brother-in-law. Yep. Oh, and it that was, movie's about me. I, when John told me that, because John set this interview up, I, w- I was so excited to tell my brother-in-law, and, and now everybody, yeah. that, that we get to speak with you, because this is so fascinating. Well, I think, without, you know, from an objective point of view, I mean, not everything in that movie is true in and of itself. So in other words, not everything in that movie happened to me, but there isn't anything in that movie that isn't, couldn't legitimately happen. Oh I mean, the, my character was portrayed not by Anthony Hopkins. He was my mentor. The young priest was me, yeah. although I was, not, I was not on the way out of the church. I hadn't lost my faith. I was ordained 22 years in real life. So, you know, I always tell people the movie's a movie, but I've right, given right, right. lots I've given lots of talks. When the, movie, when the movie was released, I was down in Hollywood with the red, at the red carpet with Tony Hopkins and the crew and my mom and dad and siblings. And, you know, it's kind of like, I can't believe this is actually happening. But you also, you know, it's what's important to keep in mind is that it's a movie. And, and also, you know, my ego is, is not so, you know, inflated that, I don't recognize that in real life, you know, everyone who, who comes to see me is suffering. Mm. And, and that's, you know, the, Christ is the exorcist, not me. And so I've never lost sight of that. So, you know, I, I just never got, like, overly impressed with the movie. I mean, I thought, well, it's a great opportunity to evangelize people. But I, I, never, I just never let it go to my head. None of that stuff ever did. Because, honestly... When you're in the trenches and you're involved in an exorcism or a deliverance, you know, and you've got the person in front of you, the, 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 the suffering is palpable. And sometimes the preternatural activity is right in front of you. It makes everything else you do pale because, you know, you're, you're in major combat with, with Satan or one of his or a group of his agents. And, and it's very sobering. Um, and a lot of people think this is all kind of, you know, medieval and superstitious and it's all kind of made up and, and it's not, none of it is. I never doubted there was a state. I had just never, ever seen what I see now until I actually, um, went to Rome and then found Father Carmen to work under and then began observing, you know, exorcisms and deliverances with him and seeing the same kinds of manifestations in person after person and realizing, okay, this must be real. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So one of the things you mentioned at the at the very beginning is you you said that there you know you have a team that that kind of um, uh, takes a look at the person first and and I've I've noticed that in other interviews you've talked about the fact that there are uh, there's a whole uh, array of different uh, tests medical psychological that they have to go through in order to rule out you know a lot of other right. things so maybe maybe you could talk about that a little bit and also there are there are also I've read. Um, I think, uh, if I remember correctly, six classic signs that that they have to kind of meet in order uh, to fulfill, you know, the the requirements that they would need to uh, to be eligible. Well, let me answer the second question first, then I'll answer the first one. It does not require the protocol in the Roman Catholic tradition does not require that all six signs must be um, manifested in order for an exorcism to happen. You actually only need one. And so um, it's rare that I would see all six signs. But there are six classic signs uh, of a demonic condition. And I like to use the word condition as opposed to possession because not every person who comes, in fact, it's rare that a person would come and they are suffering from basically a complete demonic possession. That means in our world, whereby a demon, or much more accurately, a, a tribe of demons, and that's what they're called, because there's never just one, there's a tribe. A tribe of demons has taken basically full control over the body of a human being. That does not mean that they've taken control of the soul. It just means they've taken control of the body. Most people who are of full possessions have a very, very difficult time functioning, even at a basic level. And I have, I've encountered that a few times. The majority, however, where there is a demonic condition, as I refer to them as a condition rather than using the tech, the tech, the kind of the, the technical terms, because for exorcist, the word obsession and oppression don't always mean the same thing. So for me, an oppression refers to a kind of depression and an obsession has characteristics of what we would say would be psychotic hallucinations, visual or auditory. And so um, you have to sort all that stuff out. Now, there is a fourth level, and it's called integration. And integration means where the person has chosen to accept the demon. Those people don't usually come to see me. Or if they do come to see me, uh, and I had one recently come and see me, we're really in they're in big trouble because not only have they crossed the line, they basically now want to sever the, the relationship between the demonic and themselves. And the, Satan is like the mafia. He's, you know, once you're in, you can't get out or it's very difficult to get out. And so usually the people that come to see me, if there is something of a demonic condition present, it's usually of a kind whereby they can function, they can have a family, raise their kids, 
have a job, drive their car. Um, it's just that when they're in the presence of the holy, such as a church or even a priest or some other ex- example of holiness, that um, they have they get sick or they have very very strong adverse reactions, and that can be a sign. It is usually a sign of a demonic problem. So, but you have to discern all that. So. And even in the in the forward of the of the ritual of the the, the psalm rite of exorcism, it's very clear in there. The exorcist must consult experts in other fields. So on my team, I have the prayer team, which is one team. Then I have a team of professionals. I have a, a medical doctor. I have um, two clinical psychologists. One is bilingual. I have two psychiatrists. One is bilingual. Actually, yeah, one. They're both, yeah. No, they're actually both bilingual. And, and, and then there are times when I've got to go find somebody who knows something about certain kind of drugs, like a toxicologist, or sometimes if people have been abused, uh, they can easily become dissociative, which means they have multiple personalities. You have to know who to go talk to about those things because sometimes it's, 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 it can happen whereby a person may have what we call a dissociative disorder where they may have alter personalities. And an alter personality is not a demon or a spirit. An alter personality is, is basically a shattered portion of the person's whole person that has, is trying to cope with the trauma of sexual abuse most of the time. So you've got to be able to sort all those things out. So that's why I have somebody who specializes in dissociative disorders. And, you know, and you've got to know, you basically need to know a little about a lot. It's very entrepreneurial. I mean, it really truly is. You have to know a little about a lot. Wow. And, and that, but that's, you know, again, I'm not a therapist. So I need to go, okay, who do I know? Or who, who might know someone who can put me in touch with somebody who deals with multiple personality disorders and help me figure out, am I dealing with a, a multiple or am I dealing with a demon? So everybody on the t- almost everybody on the team are all practicing Catholics. I mean, I prefer that because most therapists do not believe in anything spiritual. Uh, that is not to be judgmental of them. It's just a state of fact. Most therapists are atheists or agnostics. And so I have to have people who have a faith optic, because at least it has to be allowed that it be an option to consider in the discernment process of what is the root cause of the person's particular suffering as we understand it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a, it makes a lot of sense. I think one of the things that we'd love to hear uh, your perspective on is just, you know, what what is a demon? I mean, what, what do you guys, like, what's the... Yeah, could you just explain a little bit, like when we talk about de- demonic uh, sure. oppression de- or tribes of demons, a, or you know, yeah, sure. a, a demon, a demon is an angel that has chosen to follow the path that is in rebellion against God. Hmm. So when when the when the rebellion in heaven, according to the twelfth chapter of the book of Revelation, when the rebellion in heaven in heaven took place. A third of the angels, allegedly, a third of the angels, according to Scripture, joined 
Lucifer, the angel of light, in opposition to God over envy and jealousy of the human race. And that's what this is all about. And so demons do not lose their office, nor do they lose their nature. Their nature is spirit. Their office is angelic. In the same way, our nature as human beings is corporeal. Our office is human, but our, our nature is corporeal. In other words, we have bodies and spirits. We call our spirit our soul. As opposed to the angelic, they're pure spirit. So the angelic realm or the angelic nature is of a higher nature than the human nature. So angels have no bodies. They can travel faster than we can. They are far more intelligent and powerful than we are. And their sense of free will is far keener than ours is. That's why in the scriptures, the demons can't be saved. Because they knew in a very, very deeper, clearer, beyond a shadow of a doubt way that God is God. And that the Trinity, the Trinity predates creation. It's just that when God, when, when, when God chose to become incarnate, there was always three persons in the Trinity. The Trinity was not an evolution. The Trinity, the Trinity is static in the fact of its structure. The Trinity, however, continues to evolve because God continues to evolve. You know, God is constant, but God is also evolving at the same time. Because of, because, uh, because of time and space. So God's love for us is unchangeable because God is the source of all creation. But God also evolves in that we learn more about God as we ourselves grow in our maturity of faith. And so therefore, when, when God, Jesus, when he comes... It's in response to humanity's fall from grace. It wasn't that God, the Father, sends the Son, who's not already in, who's, who, who, let me see, how do I say this in a better way? It's not like the incarnation is an evolution. It's that the second person of the Trinity always was. God's decision to become incarnate happens as a result of the fall from grace. But it isn't like God the Creator dredged up the second person and then the Father and the Son together formed the Holy Spirit. It was already in place as the love of the Father and the Son, yes, create the Spirit, but it all was what didn't happen in response the fall from grace. And so therefore, the, 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 the demonic operate, they operate in a community of chaos, in, in the absolute opposite of how the angelic operate with Christ. They operate in a community of harmony because of their love for God. On the other hand, the demonic operate in a community of chaos 
because of their hatred for the human race and of God and uh, their rebellion. So, so one of the questions that I, I, I know some of our listeners will, will, will want me to ask um, is, so we have a loving God, we have these rebellious angels. Um, why not, you know, from God's perspective, why not just cause these, these rebellious angels to cease to exist instead of um, allowing them the power and the opportunity to essentially, you know, um, dabble and mess with, with human beings as creation. In order that God provide us with a very clear choice as to whom we owe allegiance. Do we choose to give allegiance to God or do we choose to give allegiance to the evil one? And so God gives Satan boundaries and he allows Satan to operate within those boundaries throughout the course of time. At the end of the age, which we call the parousia in the Greek, meaning the end time, the end of the world, Satan and his and, and the demonic will be destroyed. But until such time, they operate within boundaries. And they operate within boundaries for God's greater glory, basically, as well as to give human beings a very clear path and choice in terms of the direction they want to live their lives in. So I think this is the perfect time to, to get into, so what, uh, what factors contribute to a person potentially becoming possessed? That's a good question. Well, um, when people come in uh, and, and seek our counsel and assistance, we're always listening when, in the interviews we're always listening for doorways. So a person really has, I would say, the vast majority of cases of people who might serve are people who basically have gotten the attention of a demon because they've conjured the demonic or the spiritual um, through artificial devices. And so, you know, the occult is all about power and knowledge. We live in a time, in, we live in a time now when classic religion, not just Christianity, but I think classic religion in general is on, on a great big steep decline. And a lot of it is, and certainly Christianity specifically, is because of the fact that people want what they want, they want it now. You know, the economy of prayer is too, is, is too much effort and time and trouble. They want what they want now. The occult gives people what they want now, but you pay a big price for it. You pay a big price for it because once you start dabbling in, you know, witchcraft, magic, sorcery, crystals, um, Ouija boards, tarot card readings, uh, seeking psychics, you are opening you are opening doors to the spirit world, and it's the and it's the side of the spirit world that is not necessarily godly. In fact, it's mostly anti-godly, um, and it's anti-godly because it's it's a cheap imitation of you know being able to move outside of the material world, and so when we when we meet with people, we ask them those kinds of questions. I mean, 
we ask her questions about their upbringing, too. You know, what was it like growing up in your home? Tell me about your relationship with your father or your mother. Um, any history of addictions, drugs, alcohol, uh, pornography. Um, pornography is a doorway. Drugs can be a doorway. Um, if they've had any history with the occult, um, we need to know about those things. And very often there is. There, 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 there has been prior activity and maybe activity that has been going on up to the time they come to see us. So I would say the majority of people, they've basically waved the flag saying, I'm interested. And the interest really comes in the implication of, you know, using conjuring devices or other means, rituals and other means to tap into this, that, that part of the spirit world. Now, there are times when um, people can have a spell put on them without their knowledge or without their will involved. And very often, if a person has not been living, you know, a life of godliness, sometimes those, those, um, uh, those spells can actually take hold the effects of them can take hold. Or if a child in the womb is exposed to the occult, usually by the mother of the child in the womb, who either seeks the, um, a tie with a witch doctor, or in, they themselves are involved in the practice of the occult or Satanism. Um, you know, a, a, fetuses are very vulnerable to the demonic. And fetuses can be, um, they, they can suffer from a, a demonic condition very, very early, before they're born. And that has sometimes been the case. And you have to ask all those questions when you sit with someone. And then if you see signs um, in, the, in the course of prayer, which you pray with people, they call them deliverance prayer, which is a, in a sense also part of the diagnostic then you know that there is something of a preternatural presence that's there. So we, we kind of alluded to this earlier, but there are, there are six, six signs that you look for, right? And so what, if you could go over some, you know, the, the signs that, that you're kind of looking for when you're... Sure. Yeah. An aversion to the sacred. In other words, um, you know, a question that would come up would be, you know, um, let's just say they're Catholic. Most people who come to me are Catholic, but Satan does not limit himself to Catholics. Um, but most people who come are. So if a person um, has been involved in, say, the practice of witchcraft for five years and um, has been involved in, you know, per performing spells or gotten people to perform spells on others, usually for, it's either for one of two reasons, it's either for retaliation or manipulation. And then they themselves... Um, begin to show um, symptoms of uh, illness when they go to Mass or uh, when it comes time to receive the Eucharist, there is a, a very strong, pungent odor emitted from the, the consecrated host or during the reception of the Eucharist when you swallow the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus, it, there's great pain in the swallowing down through one's esophagus. 
Uh, or you go to mass, you go to a church, even a Christian church, not necessarily even a Catholic church, and you become ill because you walk in and you feel this this sense of of fear for no apparent reason. That's one. That's one sign. Another sign would be uh, during during deliverance prayer, a person the demon exhibits incredible. Uh, and inordinate amounts of physical strength that a, a person doesn't normally possess. That's another one. Another one would be uh, where they begin speaking in a language they don't have any competency in. That's usually done. That usually occurs during during deliverance prayer or rite of exorcism. Another would be um, a knowledge the demon is able to um, articulate knowledge of hidden things that the person himself would not know about either me or the team or something else. Um, another sign would be foaming at the mouth, where there would be the expulsion of large um, ball-like um, globs of, of sputum that the person would cough up uh, during prayer. Um, it isn't like shaving cream foam, but it is very distinct in its expulsion, not only because of its color, but also because of the length of time that the person might endure in coughing up all of this mucus. But it's a sign of casting. It's actually a good thing. And then the last sign would be um, epileptic-like seizures that take place during prayer or during the the presence of being in the presence of the holy, where a person's face will distort, their limbs will be out of control, um, they might fall on the floor and begin to manipulate their tongue like something you'd see in, in a snake, you know, an animal planet. So those are the six signs. Just garden variety stuff, you know. Yeesh, man. So I would love, and, you know, I think our, our listeners would definitely um, be intrigued um, Obviously, you know, some, some things about your ministry have been recorded in book form and even in film form, but uh, just, you know, for us here, if, if you can, would you be willing to maybe talk about a case that uh, you remember that, you know, expanded your whole awareness of what was going on? So, you know, you walk in believing one thing, and after the case is over, you go, oh, man, it's, it's more, it's bigger, this shocked me, this surprised me. Um, you remember anything like that that you'd care to share with us? Um, as you were, you know, and I've been asked that question lots of times. Um, I mean, a, a one, one amongst many uh, took place a few years ago when um, a man was brought to me from another diocese, actually, because they had no, they had no exercise, exorcist in this particular diocese, and it's not too far from here. And the person had actually manifested at the uh, Easter Vigil in the cathedral at the feet of the bishop. And they had no exorcist. So I was called, and the person came um, with family. And, um, you know, what, what really took place were these ferocious manifestations uh, during prayer. Um, that was the result of... Um, the person, the person being um, exposed to the demonic in the womb, whereby the father of this man did not believe that his wife 
was carrying his child. He was suspicious that his wife was carrying the child to someone else. So he started performing acts of witchcraft on his wife, and she in turn began retaliating by doing the same thing. When the child himself was two, he was molested by a half-brother and a cousin. And so that provided the doorway for the demonic to come in. So that the child was already exposed to the witchcraft, but it was the abuse that provided, in a sense, the engine uh, to usher in uh, the presence of the demonic. And so this guy, for years, felt that there was something tied to him, but he always thought it was his guardian angel. He always felt there was something attached. But it wasn't until he was 35 that the demonic was threatened enough sufficiently in the cathedral and um, exposed, basically manifested. And uh, it, it caused this guy uh, tremendous hardship. And so we worked with him for about four years. <clears throat> and we finally concluded our time with him because he was at that time unwilling to continue certain disciplines that were required, such as worship every week and confession every month. Later, he sought out the help of an exorcist who was then appointed at the same diocese. And that exorcist, who's a personal friend of mine, was actually able to finally and fully deliver him from the clutches of Satan. Wow. So I, I wonder if you could, just for a moment, because you, you use the term manifested uh, several times. What, what exactly does that mean in the context of, of the situation? A manifestation would be the display of um, the, dis- the display of a reaction to prayer. That is, that would be considered um, abnormal. So during prayer, where the person begins to roll their eyes or begins to foam at the mouth or begins to curse and swear in a language they have no competency in, um, that's, what I can, that's what I mean by manifestation. It's, it's, a, it's a physical reaction to the power of prayer that is in a sense, a perversion of how prayer should, um, of, it's a perversion of the effect that prayer should have on a person. So if a person is not afflicted, then the effect that the prayer is going to have is going to be one that may be uplifting, challenging, um, affirming, um, and illuminating. In the case when you're praying with someone who has a demonic condition, it is illuminating, but it's illuminating and not in a way that would seem to affirm um, the power of the faith of the person, but it would affirm that there is a separate, intelligent, spiritual being that is that it has been threatened sufficiently to be able no longer to hide. And so therefore, and that's what a manifestation is. It's, it's, a, it's a perversion of, of the effect of what prayer normally should have. And so when you see the eyes rolling, or you see 
the person hearing the person speak in a language they don't under they don't they've never spoken, or uh, many of these other kinds of behaviors: the falling off the chair, the manipulation of the tongue, the uh, the a spirit, basically a a completely separate intelligent being um, speaking through the the um, the um, the host of the person who has a soul and and basically taking over the person that's what I mean by manifestation so you know in, in a lot of the movies I, I think you know pro- most people who you know like horror movies have probably seen at one time or another a movie about someone who's you know possession at the very least the exorcist and that sort of thing and and obviously, you know, I would probably assume that the vast majority of those are, are very much, um, you know, uh, unrealistic in terms of what a, an actual exorcism looks like. But um, one of the commonalities or one of the common themes anyway that seem to, to pop up in these types of movies is that, you know, when, when the demon or, you know, Satan is speaking to the exorcist, um, it almost sounds like another voice or, or several voices. Is that something that's actually uh, a real occurrence, or is that something that's just kind of a Hollywood uh, vehicle, if you will? No, that's accurate. Wow. Much of what you, what much of what you see in the movies is very accurate. So when you saw the movie The Right, and I worked on the scenes involving the pregnant woman, who became impregnated by her father in the case of incest. All of those movements, those are all very accurate. Now, the critics panned the movie and said that was unrealistic, but honestly, they're all very ignorant. Those are very accurate because the director kept saying to me, what do you think, what do you think? I mean, I've been physically attacked. Now, I have a team. I'm never, I never do any of these things alone, ever, ever. And I've warned exorcists about that. You never want to be in, you never want to be doing prayers alone, ever. If you have any suspicion that there is any kind of entity attached. Now I've prayed with people sometimes alone, but there's no entity attached. But where it's been demonstrated that an entity is attached, you do not want to be with the same person in the same room with that person alone. Even having them in confession can be difficult. You know, so what you see in Hollywood, um, a lot of that is very accurate. And everything in the movie, you know, in terms of um, the woman and the reactions and the movement and the, you know, the manipulation of the body, that was all very accurate. Because demons can manipulate a physical body, human body, any way they want. They have the power to do that. So, so take us through the the rite of exorcism. Uh, I, I've I've got a copy of it here. I, I have very limited uh, knowledge on on the subject uh, beyond a, a couple of books, to be quite honest. But um, it, take take people through. You know, it's a series of prayers, obviously, and and so kind of set it up for for people. Like, what what does an exorcism look like? You mentioned there's a team that's with you, and and kind of take us through that process. Well, usually, what happens is. You know, we don't always perform the solemn rite of exorcism on a person. We may do what we call prayers or sessions of deliverance, which the difference between a solemn exorcism and a deliverance is that deliverance, deliverances are sessions in which prayers are addressed to God only. In the solemn rite, 
you have the authenticated ritual in Latin or in a few languages that the church has, has um, approved the translation from the Latin to the English, or probably from the Latin to the language of the country, including English, um, where it's, it's, a, it's, it's a prescribed order of prayers that are first addressed to God and then addressed to Satan. That's the major difference between a, a deliverance and a, and a solemn exorcism. In a solemn exorcism, you actually have a ritual book. In a deliverance session, you're addressing God, but they, the prayers themselves don't necessarily have the official approval of the church. But they're still permitted because they're addressed to God. And as long as they're addressed to God, any priest can actually pray. Any person can actually pray deliverance prayers. But if, if a person has a demonic condition, you want to be, you, you really don't, you really need to be trained to know what you're doing. So um, one, of the, one of the books I remember reading years ago, I don't, I don't, you may be familiar with it, was a, uh, by a, a famous uh, psychiatrist who's now since passed away, Dr. M. Scott Peck, um, who wrote a book uh, called Glimpses of the Devil. And uh, it was just uh, basically a few case studies that through his career, um, he felt, you know, he, he's like, it, it wasn't this, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, uh, you know, this mental disorder, it wasn't this mental disorder. And so he, he, you know, exhausted this list and came to the conclusion that it could be nothing else but, uh, but true possession. And so he, uh, in the book, he talks about how um, he seeks the, the help of, um, of an exorcist and, 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 and uh, learning more about it. And one of the things that he mentions, and I just want to get your opinion on this, is that he felt as if um, the, the longer the person had been possessed, the more difficult it was to release them from that bond. Is, is, that, is that your uh, experience as well? Yes, because the longer the demonic have an opportunity to, to tie themselves to the person, um, the more difficult it is to to basically cast the demonic out, um, because the 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 demonic have have two roles. One is parasitic; they're living off our life forms, and they're living off our life forms because they're slowly slowly dying, and they've been slowly dying since the great the great rebellion in heaven. And then the second. Um, goal that they have is basically to take as many of us to hell with them as possible, to take as many of the children of God away from God as possible, because they know they've already been defeated. They have no chance, and they know that. that they've known that since the moment Jesus died on the cross and breathed his last breath. From that time on, where, where Christ's sacrifice, his mission was complete what, and successful when he died, when he sacrificed himself, that was the one true sacrifice that established a new covenant between the world and the Father by Jesus, and that, that is what um, signals Satan's complete defeat, because Jesus, as God and human, um, is able to offer the one perfect sacrifice. So up until that time, all the covenants in the, in the, in the, in the Old Testament they all had been broken over and over and over again. Um, and so that's why God sends the Son and Jesus becomes incarnate in order to 
to be born, to live, to suffer, to die, and to rise. But it is not at the resurrection. It's at the, it's at the crucifixion when Satan is defeated. The resurrection is the Father's stamp on the legitimacy of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. So, um, oh, go, go, go on. That's right. And so, therefore, um, those, those, are the, you know, those are the two reasons why the demonic continue to try and afflict the human race. One, because they themselves are dying and live off our life form. So the man I made mention of who was, you know, in the womb and then was abused at age two and felt that there was something hanging on him, but he thought it was an angel. You know, the, the demons, there's lots of people who probably have demonic afflictions and they don't know it. And they may be sometimes confused with they have a psychological disorder, psychiatric disorder. Um, they, may have a, they may think they have a mental health condition, and they may. And sometimes the cases I have are both mental health and demonic. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're demonic, and they're not mental health. And sometimes they are mental health. And you have to sort all that out because what you don't want to do, um, you, you want to you relieve the person's suffering. But you need to do it in a way that's going to help the person. And so, you know, um, you don't want to perform a, a, an exorcism on a person who's, who's suffering from a psychotic disorder. You'll, you can end up doing a lot of harm rather than any good. And that's why you have a team, you know, and... You only go to a solemn exorcism when all other means of liberation have failed. And, um, and, and, and that takes, that's a judgment on my part, and that's in consultation with a whole dip, bunch of different people. So, um, I, you know, we're, we're running a little low on time here, so I only got a couple more questions for you. But um, I thought one thing that was interesting that I, that I made note of that in, in one of the interviews that you had done previously was, you mentioned the fact that in the course of an exorcism, uh, when, when you're addressing the demon or Satan or, or whatever it is that is possessing the, the individual, um, that you address it directly and stick to the facts. Why, why is that? What is the purpose behind that? Well, because the demon, the demon, the, the demons lie. By their very nature, they're, they're deceptors. And so you state, you state very, very tightly to get, attaining the per, obtaining the person's the, the demon's name and the 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 doorway through which they came in and when they're going to leave and you don't want to get into long conversations out of curiosity uh, you only ask the questions you have to ask and and they're going to resist as much as they can because once they give over their name then they lose their power and once they give over their name, then they will end up going. Um, it doesn't mean there won't be a battle, but they, they will go, and they, and they know they've lost. So they'll do everything they can to be as deceptive and cunning and, and strategic, uh, to do the very opposite things of what I'm trying to do. You know, and it's a battle. And they, they want to hide because they want you to believe, like Satan has had such a great you know, track record of, convincing large swaths of our populace that he doesn't exist. So if he doesn't exist, then you have no optic by which to judge evil. So like, for example, this is, 
you know, this is, a, I think, a very poignant example. All of the chaos, and I'm not talking about the hurricanes and the fires and the earthquake in Mexico, all of the incredible, palpable chaos that is taking place in our world at this time globally. Um, you, can, you can talk about Trump's presidency. You can talk about Kim Jong-un. You can talk about ISIS. Um, you can talk about the persecution of Christians around the world. Um, you can talk about the, the, the complete confusion of, like, let's talk about gender theory, where all of a sudden we've had this incredible uh, uptake in the number of people who want to change their genders from male to female or female to male or who think they're transgender. Um, where did all that come from? I'm not suggesting that people who are struggling with their gender identity are demonic. I'm not at all. What I am suggesting is that there has been a created condition by which people have become very, very confused about these matters. Or in the case of the Congress and the president, where, you know, every day is like we're starting from square A all over again, and we don't know what to expect. Or you have a Congress that is completely, for all intents and purposes, you know, um, impotent to do very much because they're all fighting with each other constantly. That's all spiritual warfare. And, you know, when, we, when people use that term, it, it's, really, it's really not a... People interpret it as being something that's very um, kind of fundamentalistic, uh, kind of evangelical, Pentecostal-esque, um, and it's, it's a very suspicious term. But honestly, it's the most accurate term, because all of this chaos that's going on in our culture, um, and not just here in the States, all over the world, it's, it's largely, it's all in one way or another, it's driven by Satan. Um, some of it may be at very low levels in terms of um, how families get along or don't get along. Although I've had families come talk to me about stuff where it's like, there's definitely something here. Mm. It's because it's so, you can tell the difference between, you know, conflict that's within the realm of the normal and conflict that's outside the realm of the normal because what's outside the realm of the normal seems to make absolutely no sense whatsoever. Yeah. So, for example, 9-11, which got today's the anniversary, the 16th anniversary, I wasn't the exorcist in those days, but I preached in my parish the weekend after 9-11 on the diabolical event that we called the Twin Towers. That just didn't happen. That was not just premeditated. That was of such a deeply evil, palpably evil, and immeasurably evil event that had all the trappings of something that was meant to be so far outside the reasonable understanding of most human beings that the intended carnage was supposed to create such an environment of um, terror that human beings couldn't get their hands around it, their heads around it. that was a that was a diabolical event I have no doubt in my mind wow. when Columbine took place in 1999 the two young men who were responsible for all of those those, for that genocide, th those men were, those two young men were involved in the occult. 
there was a, an occult altar in the home of one of those kids. And that's why I preached on that as a demonic event, because those kids were involved in Satanism. Man. So, you know, and it's becoming more and more, it's becoming more part of our culture. You know, if you were, uh, where in the East Coast are you? Uh, we're we're more, more in the Midwest. We're in the middle of Ohio, so Columbus, Ohio. Okay. Google in, just, go, just Google in, um, metaphysical shops or botanicas and see how many of these little places of business show up in Columbus or in the surrounding areas. Um, this stuff's becoming very, very mainstream now. And it's becoming very mainstream because it's becoming more acceptable. And what's making it acceptable is that large numbers of people are living, are leaving Christianity specifically. And, but they're still seeking because we're all spiritual beings. What makes us spiritual beings, we all have a soul that people are still seeking answers to questions. They're unfortunately now seeking them in the wrong, in the wrong, down the wrong street and the streets and the avenues they're seeking them down is toward paganism and sorcery and magic. And that's why we're at more and more people who are in big, big trouble. You know, this is very true in Hollywood. You know, in, in Hollywood, there are certain entertainers, actresses, actresses, who've been very open about their relationship with the spirit world. Beyonce being one, uh, Jim Carrey, who's a poor example of a comedian, being another. Um, but there are many. Um, I don't know enough about Scientology to be able to make an intelligent judgment about Scientology, but Scientology is a very secret, it's a very secret religion. Why is that? Why is it so secretive? You know, so, and, and there's really no God. It's really more of a cult than it is a religion because there is no God in their system. It's, it's L. Ron Hubbard. So, um, you have a lot of, you know, in Eastern spirituality and in, in, for example, in, in, in Buddhism, they have demons. In Hinduism, they have demons. And Hinduism is all, multi, you know, it's multi-theism. It's, uh, it's polytheism. They have a multitude of gods in, 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 uh, in, in, in Hinduism. In Buddhism, Buddhism is godless, period. There is no god. We become the god. And we become the god when we, are absolve, when we ourselves are absorbed into, into nature. And it's our destruction, so to speak, is when we, become, when we become, in a sense, kind of the god. It, it, it flies in the face of um, any, anything where there's uh, any understanding of a supreme being. Now, that does not mean that any person who's a Buddhist is satanic. That when people choose to go and find, let's say, the word enlightenment um, in some of these places, in some of these structures, that sometimes they're not, they're also going to end up finding stuff that they're not expecting. So I think the, the important thing to end on then is, is in, in your professional opinion, what, what are some ways that people can, uh, can, can protect themselves from, from this, this realm? Um, well, there, there are four ordinary means of protection. I've given talks specifically on what you're asking. 
there's four ordinary means. There's a faith life. In other words, I have, I have an optic in which I judge that there is a supreme being bigger than me, and I would want to stress supreme being because there's lots of people who are quote-unquote spiritual, but when you ask them what they really mean, they don't really know. And also, there are people who really know what they mean by spiritual. It has nothing to do with any Christian. It has to do with New Age, the occult, uh, Reiki, yoga, used for purposes of enlightenment as opposed to purposes of, of exercise. Um, and that's, it's a very, that's a very different modality to use yoga. When people are using yoga for purposes of um, power, intelligence, and awareness, they're opening doors. Because there is a God, there is actually a God attached to every single movement in yoga. And so the faith life, I have a relationship with God. And in that relationship with God, um, I acknowledge that there is a supreme being, an intelligent being, who's responsible for my creation, redemption, and um, sanctification. Then I have a prayer life. That means that I spend time in a relationship with God. And I have a moral life. It means that my, my, my compass of how I live my life has clarity to it based on a set of moral principles and precepts in which I try basically and, and do good and avoid evil, you know, in, in the most basic sense of the word and without putting too much Christianity attached to it. Um, in, a Christi- in a Christian optic, it would be, you know, how do I live the two great commandments and follow the Ten Commandments? And then out of that, for Catholic, it would be, how do I fortify myself in, 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 in the relationship I have with God, in the intention of building a personal relationship with God and, and living an ordered life? I have a sacramental system, namely the Eucharist, where we would say would be our Mass and confession, and Mass weekly, Eucharist weekly, confession monthly, prayer daily. You know, you follow those four precepts, for a Catholic at least, the chances of anything happening are very nil. For a Christian, it would be the first three, you know, a prayer life, a faith life, and a moral life. For a, non, a non-Christian, it would be basically, how do I live my life in terms of how do I conduct myself? Do I, even if I don't necessarily embrace Christianity, what we teach in the Catholic Church is what's called baptism by desire. So a person who may for whatever reason, not be a baptized individual, it does not mean that heaven is not possible. It means that have I lived my life in the breath of the will of God? You know, if I, I mean, I've met people who have never been baptized, but, you know, were, were raised by parents who had a very strong ethic, moral ethic. Well, that matters, and that counts, and they may not necessarily have put a God label to the way they've behaved or lived, but they have lived in the spirit of, of what God's will would be for them as far as, you know, how do I, how do I choose to do good and avoid evil? Um, but you follow those four precepts um, that I just mentioned. That's how you basically, those are the four means of protection. Wow. Well, th- Adam and I just want to thank you so much for, uh, I know we had to reschedule here and everything. So we, we want to thank you for taking the time out of your schedule um, to, sure. to share some of this stuff yeah. with us. This is absolutely fascinating and something that, that uh, Adam and I 
don't know a ton about, so we wanted to get the uh, uh, the expert on. So thank you so much. Um, before we let you go, though, so where can people go to get the book uh, about your life? And um, if people are in in need, where how can they? What's the best way to get in contact with you? Well, um, the the best way to get the book would be uh, most likely through Amazon. Um, I'm. I'm not sure if they, I'm, I'm sure there must be still copies of the book in soft, in, 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 that, are so, that are in a soft copy, uh, you know, uh, uh, soft copy. You probably could get it through Amazon without any problem whatsoever. I doubt very much of bookstores, uh, although bookstores are becoming kind of rare now, I doubt very much of bookstores will still carry my, the book about me. They did for a number of years, but I think Amazon for sure would. So that would be the best place to get the book. The book's an easy read, and it's very, very well done. Uh, Matt researched Matt Balio researched that book very, very well. It's written in a in not in a kind of a novel-like form, but it's really written kind of as a textbook. So it has a lot of information in there, but it's a very, very good read, and it's very informative. And for a topic that can be very heavy, um, I think he was very successful at a good balance. Um, as far as reaching me is concerned, in general, what we try and do is um, redirect people back to their own diocese unless they're, unless they're local. So they can, best way would most likely be to Google my name in. Perfect. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, we really appreciate your time and uh, um, we just uh, appreciate the work that you're doing and, uh, and, and educating us a little bit. And, and like I said, an area that we, we don't just especially as Protestants don't know a ton about. So we, we really appreciate it. Well, you're most welcome. And I was very glad to do the interview with you. And I hope you found this informative and I hope your listeners will as well. Thank you very much. Have a great night. Bye. God bless. And thank you again. Every single week. And I gave you my money so that you would tell me what to
go wild to wade through the fear and the hurt. But I think there's a way for us to love and heal the world. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.